My topic today is contagious generosity. Would you open your Bibles to Psalm 37? Life is such a wonderful gift if we know how to manage it properly. And successful Christ followers have learned how to become generous. In fact, one of the most beautiful things you can ever see is when you see a person practicing generosity. Like these little kids sharing an ice cream cone. For these next few moments, I want to take a walk through the life of David, who is both a shepherd, a warrior, and king. One of the traits that David exemplified so powerfully was that he was a generous man. And he tells us in Psalm 37 and verse 25, I was young and now I'm old. Yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. They're always generous and lend freely. Their children will be a blessing. Did you know that if you practice generosity, there are lots of benefits associated with it? And one of it is your children are going to be blessed. Not by just what you give them, but as if God is watching how you behave. And he rewards your children and you by your generous behavior. See, generosity, it's a lifestyle. I'm not talking about a one-time act of giving. And sometimes... We can all fall into this trap. We did something once, five years ago on January 5th. And then we lump ourselves into being, quote unquote, a practitioner. And then we describe ourselves by that one-time act that we did. As the old timers would say, umpteen years ago. Generosity is not giving. It's not a one-time act. Generosity is not a future goal. You know, I'd love to be generous later. No. If you don't learn to practice generosity now, there's a very slim chance you'll learn to practice generosity later. Let's walk through David's life. Because we have to learn how to be generous with our time, generous with our gifts, generous with our love, generous with our kindness. God has to stretch us on the inside because this generosity thing is so incredibly valuable. What we'll learn from David is this, generosity is caught. Hang around generous people like David and you'll catch it. It's almost like an infectious disease. In a positive sense, you'll catch it. 2 Samuel 6 is where I want you to turn to, and I'll put the words on the screen as well. 
But the backdrop to this story that I'm about to read is the fact that David was recently coronated king of Israel. And one of the things that was on his heart was that he wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant, a physical symbol that represented the presence of God. He wanted to bring it from you know, Kiriath Jerarim, you know, a, a neighboring town, and bring it to Jerusalem, the capital and the city where he lives. Why? When the Ark of the Covenant is there in Jerusalem, it says to the world and to the nation of Israel, God is the centerpiece of our nation, and we focus on his delight and his attention. Look at verse 17 now. They brought the Ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. Take a step back. Look at David's big heart for the people of Israel. Generosity ekes out. You would think that this parade of bringing the Ark of the Covenant to the city of God, or Jerusalem is another phrase, another frame, another synonym for Jerusalem, the city of God. You would think that the Ark of the Covenant was just all about just celebrating God, which was the primary reason. But David had planned a surprise for the people. Before he dismissed the national family, he gave each one a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins. And the scripture is very specific to each man and each woman. Don't you ever let people tell you that God is sexist or the Bible is. Each one God. Now do you know that how much you have to really plan out way in advance to give every person a loaf of bread, a cake of, of, of raisins, and a cake of dates. It's a lot of planning, a lot of strategizing, a lot of preparation, which leads me to conclude generosity is not spontaneous. It's a planned action. See, David... His gifts, bread, cake, dates, those were prophetic gifts. They were emblems, tokens, icons of God's blessings, God's prosperity. So he's giving them to the people to say, may the Lord do that for you and your family. Generosity is caught. Years later when Absalom, one of David's sons, formed a coup to overtake the throne and to kill David, and David rushed away to, into hiding and his close family and his close advisors went along with him. Here comes one of the guys bringing to David dates, figs, bread, and wine. You know, the, and saying to David, because David, they didn't have time to pack food. What it conveyed to us was that years prior when David did that for the nation, this man caught it. See, generosity is caught. When I first began 
being a pastor, I was 24 years old, I, I didn't understand how is, what is the relationship? How do you develop this pastor-congregant relationship? It was all new. Seminary didn't teach me those things. And I remember going somewhere, and, and I didn't realize school was in. There was this pastor that was there with his congregation. The service had just been dismissed, and he was probably about maybe 30 or 40 years my senior, and and these three little kids ran up to him and said, Pastor, Pastor, we just got our report card. And the pastor knelt down in front of the little kids. He said, tell me, what did you get? What did you get? What kind of grades did you get? And one kid said, I got all A's, Pastor. And another kid said, I got A's and I got one B, though. Pastor, you, you'll get A next time. Another kid said, I got some C's and I got B's, but I'm trying, Pastor. He said, you'll, you'll, you'll do well, son. And then I saw the pastor reach into his pocket and pull out some money and give it to each one of these kids and say, I just want you to know I'm proud of you. I caught it. Something happened in me. You know how many times I've done that over these decades of pastoral ministry? I remember one time was this girl, maybe about 12 years old. I saw her at the back of the sanctuary, and I said, what's going on? Tell me, how are you doing in school? She dropped her head. And her mother was standing next to her and said, she's not doing too well. And I took her by the arm, and I walked her away from her mom for a moment. I said, you can do this. you got to focus. God is He's, 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 he cares about your educational goals. God's not all about spiritual. He's, called, he's about everything. I said, here's what I want you to do. And I gave her some tips. Fast forward now. A marking period had come. I saw her in the back of the sanctuary again. I said, how'd you do? She beamed from ear to ear. She said, Pastor, I did really well. I reached into my pocket, pulled out like a 20, gave it to her. She pulled that $20 bill, almost tore it, and she walked away, beaming from ear to ear. Generosity is caught. See, it's not about that you can give without loving. Anybody can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. And there are lots of myths surrounding generosity. It's somehow get in the way of us becoming generous people. Generosity is spontaneous. Myth. You got to plan out to be this. You got to live below your means if you want to be generous financially in order to be generous. Generosity is determined by cash flow. Myth. Generosity is for the rich. Myth. Generosity is determined by the size of the gift. Myth. When I first came to Christ, I, I had no worldview or philosophy about generosity. It, it was never anything that entered my mind. And I was in college, and my parents would send me pocket money once a month, and I remember 
taking some of that money and putting it in this white envelope, small little envelope, and putting the name of a friend on there. I'd take five bucks, I'd take ten, and I'd go to the student union building and I'd slip it into their mailbox because I knew that their parents didn't have any resources to send them. And though I had little of my own, I shared, and not even to this day did they know I was the one that gave the gift. And I'm not saying that to put, on, put myself on any pedestal because I have lots of room to grow. But one thing I do know is this, generosity is caught. And you got to hang around with generous people and you have to let God stretch you in your heart because the Bible says, for God so loved the world that He gave. Our God is a consummate giver. And you can't get closer to God without becoming closer to His trait of being generous. And David taught us that generosity is caught. Interestingly enough, generosity is taught. You can learn how to be generous. We human beings are instinctually selfish. I think that sometimes for most kids, the first word that they learn is mine. When you talk to a little kid, the first word that they learn, mine. They can't work. They don't work. They have no source of income. They're, they're living under your roof. They're eating your food, wearing the clothes you bought them or another family member bought them. And yet, if you dared ask them for one of their French fry among their, 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 their plate of 30 French fries, you reach your hand there because it smells good, looks good, and you go like this, and they'll say, Mine! Try that with me. Say that with me. Mine. We are instinctually selfish. This local community was having their, their annual fund drive. And the volunteer leading the charge, he went to the wealthiest man in their community and said, John, you've never made any donation to this fund. I'd like for you to make a donation this year. John just snapped at the volunteer. Do your records show that when my father died, he left my mother penniless? Do your records show that my younger brother is just totally handicapped and can't work? Do your records show that my sister, whose husband passed, left her with four children and she has to provide care for them? Do your records show those things? The volunteer looked this shaking, just embarrassed. He said, no, sir. He said, if I don't help any of them, what makes you think I'm going to help you? <laughs> See, we, we, we got to be taught how to be generous. This family had bought a puppy, and they noticed after months of the puppy being at home, every time someone walked by the puppy while it's eating, the puppy would growl at them. And so, the lady asked a friend of mine who's a dog trainer, can you help me with this puppy? And so he gets there and sure enough, the puppy's growling when he walks by the puppy's, you know, puppy's you know, bowl. And he tells the owner, he says, if you don't retrain this puppy now, he'll bite one of the family members because he doesn't know how to be generous.
And he guards everything that he feels is his own. And so the dog trainer began to train a puppy. And now, when they go over, they can touch the bowl while the puppy's eating. The puppy just stops, just watches. Some of you are like that puppy. <laughs> you got to learn to be generous. Let me show you what David did as he was teaching generosity. To set it up, fast forward now. Years after his sitting on the throne as king, he wakes up one morning and he says, in 2 Samuel 9, he says, I want to show God's kindness. Is there anyone left of the household of Saul? Now, we got to understand, Saul was the first king of Israel, really bad character. In fact, he attempted to kill David a number of times over a span of about 10 years. And David wakes up and says, I want to show God's kindness to someone from Saul's household. Is there anyone left? And one of David's men said, hey, yeah, there's, there's Mephibosheth, the grandson of Saul, the son of Jonathan. He lives in a place called Lodabar, this village that's in a remote part of Israel. And David said, call him. And look at verse 6. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, who was the son of Saul, came before David, he bowed deeply, abasing himself, honoring David. David spoke his name. Mephibosheth? Yes, sir. Don't be frightened, said David. I'd like to do something special for you in memory of your father, Jonathan. To begin with, I'm returning to you all the properties of your grandfather, Saul. Furthermore, from now on, you'll take all your meals at my table. Shuffling and stammering, not looking him in the eye, Mephibosheth said, Who am I that you pay attention to a stray dog? like me. Now, i got to give you some more color to the story. Mephibosheth was living in Lodabar, a remote village, obscure village. And he was living in the family's home that would just, they felt sorry for him. Why? Mephibosheth had, was severely handicapped in both feet. And so he couldn't even work. This man was not living the life of a former royalty. Far from that. A pauper. Far from that. Living at the mercy of a family that felt sorry for him. Far from that. Penniless. For him to come to Jerusalem to meet with the king, he had to straighten himself out. It took a lot of hard work, a lot of difficulty. He's severely handicapped. He gets there. He's frightened because... Most kings, what they do when they come into office is they kill the male descendants of their predecessor to make sure there's no potential threat to their kingdom. Mephibosheth, lame in both feet, perhaps has to shuffle into the courtroom. A lot of pain, a lot of difficulty. He's frightened. 
He thinks that David may be ready to kill him, wanting to kill him. David said, Mephibosheth? He said, yes, sir. David allays his fear. Don't be frightened. I want to restore, and I'm going to restore all of your grandfather's property. Every acre that your grandfather owned when he was king. I'm giving it, all of it back to you. And from now on, I want you to eat your meals with me at my table here in Jerusalem. Scripture says Mephibosheth was stammering, couldn't even look him in the eye. I, I'm, a, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a stray dog. Most translations use the word dead dog. I, I, I'm a dead dog. What am I to you? I'm no threat to you. I'm dead. I don't even make noise. I'm dead. I have no ability to, to, to even be a nuisance to you. I'm dead. Why do you want to show this kind of kindness to me? David, you can imagine this powerful king that had received world renown. He reaches down and he picks up in essence this man that was so filled with this self-abasement that calls himself a dead dog. And he says, I'm going to restore all your grandfather's property to you. And I want you every day to eat at my table. That means come back and live in Jerusalem. I'll take care of you. Every day, Jerusalem, as he's there in Jerusalem, he's coming to eat his meals. He's slow because his legs are deformed. It takes him time to come into the courtroom, and most kings want no one with a handicap around them because it makes them, it, it doesn't look good in the, in the palace. And yet David, he, he, he says, I want you to come and take your meals every day because generosity is not about money. It reaches past your purse, past your wallet, into your heart. See, generosity, it's taught. Fast forward, Solomon is king. He's writing Proverbs. And there in Proverbs 11, verse 24, Solomon tells us how he learned generosity as he gives us a little clue on generosity. Solomon says, sometimes you can become rich by being generous or poor by being greedy. Generosity will be rewarded. Give a cup of water, and you'll receive a cup of water in return. And where did Solomon gain such tremendous insight on the topic of generosity? Answer, his dad David taught him. How? Every day when Solomon took meals as a prince, Sitting at the table, there's Mephibosheth. There he is. A visual sign of the generosity of his dad. You can be taught how to be generous. 
There are some Mephibosheths in your life right now. They can't, they can't do anything for you. They don't have the ability to give you anything enough of substance. Your gift to them, your kindness to them, your big heart towards them will mean the world to them. And it would mean maybe very little to you in regards to taking anything from you. But what it will do is what Jesus taught. He says it's more blessed to give than to receive. There's something you gain when you give. Is this as if you become more godlike? It's as if you become more like Jesus, where you live to be generous. You you gotta open up your heart. You got to make sure that the world's perspective doesn't fill your heart and junk it up. You got to be so different than lost people in how you deal with people. You can't hoard, you can't be greedy, you can't be so self preoccupied and so focused. And David, as he became big, he looked to help people that were not as big. Is there anyone here, he says in 2 Samuel 9 verse 1, that I could show God's kindness to? I want to find someone who can't pay me back, who can't add any value to me other than being a recipient of my generosity. I'm not doing that out of you know, pity. I'm not doing that out of you know, somehow I feel like my ego is being stroked. I'm doing that because when I do it, it's godlike and it makes me feel good to love people this way. I want you to see how significant it is. Isaiah 32 verse 8 puts it this way. But generous people plan to do what is generous. And they stand firm in their generosity. you, you got to plan to do it. You can't just think about it and not do anything. you got to plan to do it. Just last month, February was plastered all over the media, particularly sports media. Matt Kuchar, professional golfer. He won the November 2018 Mayakoba Classic Tournament and received $1.2 million as a purse. Wouldn't you like to get that after playing a little, some golf? I'd like to get that. And he's ranked 10th in the PGA all-time money maker, having earned more than $46 million. A little problem arose. Standard percentage that you would give your caddy is 10% of the purse. His normal caddy wasn't with him there in Mexico, so he had then a stand-in caddy, David Ortiz, and he gave David $5,000. When the sports world heard about it, they went up in arms and said, what in the world are you doing? This is ridiculous. You're cheap. You're stingy. It's not right. Matt Kuchar said, he should be happy. He only makes 200 bucks. <laughs> you know, I gave him 5,000. The guy should be happy just to carry a bag, 
keep the money and shut up, don't say anything. People went up in arms, social media, pressure. Kucha says, okay, I'll give the guy 15,000 more. David Ortiz says, oh, I don't want 15,000 more. I don't want you to give me 45,000 more. More social media, more pressure, more name calling, more pointing the finger at Kucha, you're stingy. Stuchet and Annie up, he said, okay, I'll give him 45,000 more. And he offered an apology. See, he got the 50K, but it wasn't an act of generosity. You can't be pushed into being generous. You can't be goaded into being generous. You can't be shamed into being generous. You can do generous things and not be generous because generosity starts here. In the heart. And it can be taught. So we've learned generosity is caught. Generosity is taught. And generosity is sought. David spent his entire lifetime modeling generosity. It's amazing. And at the end of his years, winter years now, he's old. He's about to go, as the scripture uses flowery language, the way of the world, pass away. Solomon is appointed as heir, his successor. There was this one big thing that David was not able to do that was in his heart while he was king. That was to build a temple for God. It was always in his heart. God told him, I don't want you to build a temple because you've been a man of war your whole life. In other words, I need a peace, peaceful guy to do it. Let your son do it. Let's join David as we're learning how generosity is sought. First Chronicles 29 verse 1. It says, Then King David said to the whole assembly, my son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great because this palatial structure is not for man, but for the Lord God. With all my resources, I've provided for the temple of my God. Gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, and wood for the wood, as well as onyx for the settings, turquoise, stones of various colors, and all kinds of fine stone and marble. All of these in large quantities. Besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God, over and above everything I've provided for this holy temple. 3,000 talents of gold, gold of Ophir, that's the good kind, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for the overlaying of the walls of the buildings, for the gold work and the silver work, and for all the work to be done by the craftsmen. Now... Who's willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? Overlook all the money. Overlook all the gold and all the precious stones, all the precious elements. Overlook all that. Don't get distracted by all that because that's a whole lot of stuff, both from the national coffers and David's personal coffers. Overlook all that. And lock in on that last part of verse 5. David says... Now, who's willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? In other words, he's saying, generosity is sought. I want people to be just as generous. Generous is not about amount, it's about heart. But David didn't say, look in your wallet, check your bank account. No, 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 it's not about that. It's not about that. 
You pass your pocketbook. You pass your wallet. Where do you go? Heart. David said, I want you to consecrate yourself to the Lord. Fancy Bible words to mean, go before God and ask God, God, I want to devote myself to you. God, I want you to wash my heart. God, I want your focus to be my focus. God, I want your interest to be my interest. God, I want your will to be my will. And when you've done that, consecrate, devote, give yourself over to, then when you've done that, whatever God tells you to do, do. See, when you draw close to God, you got to catch what God has. When you draw close to God, you got to be infected with what God has just oozing out of his pores, if I use anthropomorphic language, humanizing God, so to speak, so we understand him better. I don't know if God has pores, but we do understand when things ooze out of our pores. And so when we get closer to God, nothing, nothing's impossible. Why? Because God gets our heart. He's not interested in your money. He's interested in your heart. When he has your heart, nothing else matters because what you want is God to have your heart. David says, I'm seeking, I'm looking for, I'm asking for generous people to reveal yourself. And the only ones who will are the ones who have first given themselves, consecrated themselves to the Lord. I've frequented the nation of Kenya many times. One of my trips there, I had this experience that just gripped my heart. I was speaking at this national pastors conference, maybe about 10,000 people, one of the remote villages, staying in this hotel. It wasn't one of those five-star Marriott's or anything like that. I'm talking about a rustic hotel. It's very meager subsistence. Kenya is one of the poorest countries in Africa. And so, right the day before I'm supposed to go back home, I collect canes, walking canes from different countries that I travel to. And I'd already gotten a cane from Kenya, but I was looking for something else that would be a good conversation piece. When you bring it back home to the States, whether I have it in my office or at home, people that come by and they say, wow, I've never seen that before. That's fascinating. And then I talk and the story comes out of that. So I was looking for one of those things. And in the street that was in front of the hotel, imagine a road that traffic goes in this direction and then there's an island and there's another road and traffic goes in the opposite direction. In this island, and by the way, the roads were dirt roads, the island, dirt-based island, just, you know, it's very base in terms of basic. On the island, there must have been about 30 to 40 different merchants, each having a table, maybe about a six-foot-long table. On the table were all their wares. Some of them had stone carvings. Others had wood carvings. Others had necklaces. Others had different unique souvenir types that tourists come and or other Kenyans may come and say, you know, I, I want that. So I started, I went outside by myself and I started at the top of the, uh, of, of the queue, so to speak, of all the merchants. And I didn't even get close to the table. I just looked from a distance because I'd been there a bunch of times, got a number of things, and I'm looking. And I'm walking because nothing really caught my eye. I get to the last table. 
And I looked from a distance and I was about to walk back to the hotel and the merchant that was there was a woman. Looking at her, she looked maybe early 60s, very emaciated, maybe about tops 9,500 pounds, maybe about 5'2 or so. And her dress was tattered, holes in different places. So you can see just by how she appeared, she was very poor, even by Kenyan standards. As I was about to turn and walk, she said, Pastor, how are you? I've been going to the meetings. So she knew who I was. I did not know who she was. I said, I'm doing fine. And typically when I teach, no matter where I am, I always use stories. And sometimes in the stories of my wife and my two daughters. And so she said, how is your wife? How are your daughters? Have you gotten gifts for them yet? I said, no. I said, they're doing well, but I haven't gotten any gifts for them. She said, come here, pastor. I want to give you a gift for your, your family. And she reached her hand on her rack that had necklaces, and she pulled off three of them and put it in this brown paper bag, small little bag, and she rolled up the top of the bag and about to hand it to me. And I had in my pocket six $100, $100 bills. You know those crisp type that I got from the bank that it, went, you know, it's just, it looks brand new. It's like never been touched before. I, I took it with me because sometimes you go places, they just don't take you know, credit card, debit card. And so, you know, particularly overseas, I took American dollars and everybody wants American dollars overseas. So I went into my pocket about to peel off one of those $100 bills. I don't know if you've ever had one of those sanctified handshakes. I, I, you know, I, I, it's, a, it's almost like, you know, it's a, a church handshake. It's a, it's a Christian handshake. What a person does is that they take the money that they're about to give you and they fold it up in their hand. They have their hand, you know, cupped like this. So you can't see what's in there, but you know it's money because it's not straight hand. It's cupped. And so I've had a number of those handshakes. And then you don't look in your hand when they're giving you their hand to shake because it's just, I, I don't know why you don't look, but you just don't look. And so you don't look. That's not the rules. You don't look. And so you, you act, you're supposed to act like, you know, you don't know what's happening. And they act like they don't know what's happening. And so you're, the hands exchange and you hold the hand for like a split second and the bill passes from their hand into yours and you still don't look. And then you put it in your pocket. You don't look and they don't look. And, you, and they just say, God bless you. And you say, thank you. And that's the extent. And when you walk away, then you look. And so I wanted to give her one of those sacred handshakes. And so I went into my pocket and I peeled off one of those $100 bills and I folded up real quick in that hand and act like I wasn't doing anything. And she didn't look, she did, she knew. This $100 bill, based on the currency exchange and Kenyan lifestyle at that point, it would be equivalent to two and a half months worth of income. And I reached my hand towards her. And when she saw me doing that with my hand cupped, she knew what it meant. She didn't even look. She said, no, thank you. I just want to give you a gift. And then she said this, don't you realize that poor people want to be generous too? And when she said that, something hit me. And I started crying. And out of embarrassment, I turned my eyes so she wouldn't see my tears. I thanked her for the gift. And as I walked back to my hotel room, I'm crying like a baby. There I learned 
Generosity is for everybody. Don't you let anybody take your generosity from you. Let God work in you such a wellspring of generosity that it becomes contagious. It's caught, it's taught, and it's sought. And I want to pray with you today about you growing with contagious generosity.